Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks for giving the show a listen this week, a download. Maybe you're watching on YouTube on the Physicians Committee's channel. We appreciate that. Wherever you are, we're just so glad that you are here. What a week it has been. Had the opportunity to meet with so many fantastic exam room listeners at our Kickstart Intensive over Mother's Day weekend. Some of you came many, many miles to be there, including a special shout out to Christy, who came all the way from California to join us in Washington, D.C. So, Christy, you have no idea, my friend, how much that meant to all of us. And I hope that you and everybody else there got a ton out of this because you all should be commended for investing two days of your time and putting that into your health. It's a 48-hour investment that will pay off for a lifetime. And there was so much fun, too, with all of the cooking demonstrations and learning about the medical science and the grocery store tours, plus the motivation and the inspiration And I really, I always enjoy being able to talk about my own struggle with food addiction. Did something a little bit different this time, too. I tallied up how many calories I would eat in a day. And then I ran down my Taco Bell habit. I ran down item by item, listing all of the fat and all of the calories, all of the salt. And then at the end, I held up a pair of my 66-inch waist jeans that I wore when I was still 420 pounds. Food addiction is very, very real. It is a very real thing. And I think that that really opened some eyes for a lot of people in that room. And, And when you hear a story like that, or Eric O'Gray who also spoke at that event with Dr. Barnard, a lot of, lot of power over those, those two days. Now, what I've found over time is that the best two ways to keep the weight off, the best ways to make sure that I keep my health strong and the best ways that I know to, frankly, just feel good about myself are to eat a plant-based diet and then to share that story to not only motivate other people, but also to motivate myself, because simply it just recharges the old batteries. And then I can keep telling that story and hopefully keep inspiring others and showing them that I'm not Superman. Everybody has the power to change. Every single one of us. We can all do it. We can all do it. So thank you all for coming. You are just amazing. And if you weren't able to be there in person, I hope that we will see you next time, perhaps even at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine in July. Wouldn't that be fun? But let's turn the page now and talk about today's show because it's another big one. You know, some of the most popular shows that we have ever done on the exam room have been on gut bacteria because that that microbiome is in demand, Jack. And why not? Why not? Check this out. The human genome is comprised of about mm, 21,000 genes. I'm talking about DNA here, right? That's massive, right? But now think about this. The human gut microbiome represents about 3.3 million microbial genes. And that blows that right out of the water. It's not even close. And really, right now, we're only scratching the surface. 
and more and more research just keeps pouring in, showing the link between gut bacteria and disease and mental health and obesity, cancer, so many things. And the list, it just keeps growing longer and longer and longer. So today, we're going to revisit gut bacteria with Dr. Hanna Kaliova. She's going to return. She's going to be here to do a deep dive on some of the newest studies on gut bacteria. Very interesting ones at that. We're going to hear about altering your gut bacteria, how that can help you to lose weight and improve your immune system, fight off that cold and flu, reduce your risk of diabetes and a ton of other diseases. And listen up closely now. She's also going to share which foods you should be eating to help spur on that change and turn around your own health. One of the studies in particular that we're going to be talking about compares the gut bacteria found in children who eat a westernized diet to that found in children from rural Africa who rely on a much more plant-based diet with unrefined food sources. And then we're going to do the same thing for U.S. children and then children from Bangladesh. Then we're going to also do that for some grown-ups. We're going to do that with adults in China who generally eat a higher fat diet with a lot more meat compared to Indian adults who eat a largely plant-based diet as well. Now, the findings are really just fascinating to me, and I think that you too are going to get a lot out of them. Plus, we're going to share some ideas about how altering your own eating habits can get your own gut microbiota in tip-top shape, my friend. And then we're going to turn to the story of Courtney Flannery. Courtney is just really a remarkable woman who emailed to share her own incredible journey to health. For more than a decade, she was just a true medical mystery. It's a story that begins when she was just a young teenager. She fell ill, and her first trip to the doctor would then be followed by countless others over the years. Doctor after doctor left baffled by her condition, and as it continued to deteriorate, there were still no answers. But there were plenty of diagnoses. Let me list some of them. I mean, we're, we're talking about a dozen of them. There was Crohn's disease, irritable bowel syndrome, fibromyalgia. There were chronic migraines, anxiety, depression, hypoglycemia, and on and on and on the list went. And the thing about Courtney that you need to know is that throughout the years, her weight would just swing wildly. At one point, she was up well over 200 pounds, and then it would come crashing down when she got super sick. She almost dipped below 100, and all the while, she was being bullied by her peers. And by the time she was in her early 20s, that physical, that emotional toll had left her frail body unable to walk without the assistance of a cane or a wheelchair. And then everything would come to a head on one fateful day when she just collapsed on the floor of a big convention. And many, including her own mother, believed that death would not be far behind. But Courtney, Courtney would not go gentle into that good night. She was ever resilient and unwilling to die. So she began the painstaking process of unraveling her own medical mystery and searching for a cure. And it was then... It was then that she stumbled upon research on the benefits of a plant-based diet, including some that was conducted right here by the Physicians Committee. So following years of frustrating battles and a near-death experience, the pieces of the puzzle finally started coming together and her fortunes began to turn around. 
this. This is a truly can't-miss story that you're going to want to stick around for. It's coming up in just a little bit. But first, Dr. Hanna Kaliova and I will attempt to unravel another mystery, one that can impact your own health in a major, major way. This is Gut Bacteria Revisited. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Advanced course day on the show, as I said at the top. This is really exciting to me. We did Gut Bacteria 101 last year, and now we have graduated. We should consider ourselves, I guess, sophomores at this point. Uh, This is Gut Bacteria 201. I'm sitting across the table with uh, a a gut bacteria expert in her own right, and that is Dr. Hanna Kaliova. She's the Director of Clinical Research here at the Physicians Committee. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back. Uh, Man... There is so much to discuss here, and I will say that among listeners and viewers of this show, which is now also on YouTube, they are gut bacteria fans. I mean, they cannot get enough gut bacteria information. Like, this is a big topic. I... I I didn't really think too much about it until I started doing the show, but people are into the gut bacteria. It's also important for our overall health, so it's a good thing to it's, know something about it. it. And for so many reasons, as yeah. we're going to get into here today, because I, I saw the material that you sent, and there's a lot that we're going to talk about, and mm-hmm. it's all fascinating. But let's start, uh, Dr. Kaliova, with some fun facts, because uh, the human gut microbiome, as I understand it, represents more than 3 million uh, microbial genes, which outnumber the human genome of just a paltry 21,000. That's correct. That's amazing. Huge. I I mean, Mm -hmm. that's that's like a ridiculous difference, like not even close. And um, humans were what? Almost nearly identical, 99.9% identical in terms of the genome, but the gut microbiome. No, 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 no. Up to 80 to 90 percent different. That is, again, huge. Right. Huge. Mm-hmm. Fun facts. Um, and, and I will ask you this before we dive really deep into things. Somebody's got bad gut bacteria. We'll just get to this right off the top because I'm sure that somebody's listening is like, man, my stomach always hurts. I'm probably not eating the right things. My gut bacteria is probably all out of whack. Mm-hmm. How quickly after they change their diet, start eating more nutritious foods, will they notice a change in their gut bacteria? How quickly does that happen? Uh, It may happen pretty quickly uh, in in a few days or weeks. Um, You know, some of the studies um, are only, for example, four weeks long, uh, where they gave people whole grains and they were studying how their microbiome shifts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in only four weeks, you can see significant changes in your microbiome. That's super fast. Four weeks in the span of things, like that is that is crazy. Uh, but we should also mention, uh, for example, if you use um, if you overuse antibiotics, uh, you will you know destroy a lot of the beneficial bacteria that live in your gut, and these changes may be even faster. Right, right. Within uh, one or two days, you right. may see significant shifts in gut microbiome after antibiotics use. So let me ask you this. So when we do take antibiotics, say we got sick and we have to take antibiotics, uh, that wipes out 
all the bacteria, right? I mean, that's basically what the antibiotic does. It just goes in there and it acts as a destroyer, correct? Uh, however, some bacteria are more sensitive uh, towards the antibiotic and some are more resistant. Uh, so the antibiotic doesn't destroy all of them, uh, but some. You okay. know, uh, and there are some significant shifts in the composition. That's why when you use antibiotics, you need to be more careful about your diet. Mm. Uh, you need to be more careful about how you feed the beneficial bacteria in your gut. And many people think it's only about fermented foods, like, for example, plant-based yogurts may, may be a good example, or sauerkraut, or tempeh. Uh, so people, you know, believe that they need to be consuming these fermented foods in order to have a balanced microbiome. However, it's not only about consuming these fermented foods, where, uh, which provide the ready uh, bacteria, uh, that are beneficial because most of them will die in your and will be destroyed in your stomach anyway. Uh, so most of them um, that in these foods will not reach uh, your colon. Wow. So um, it's important to uh, incorporate some uh, some compounds in your diet that will nurture the beneficial bacteria in your gut. So when you say compounds, what are you, what are you talking about? Uh, I'm talking about uh, probiotics uh, and prebiotics. So probiotics uh, are uh, in the fermented foods. That mm -hmm. These are the bacteria that we consume in fermented foods. But prebiotics are the food for our bacteria in our gut. And these are oligosaccharides, so that that means uh, very simple carbohydrates um, that are um, connected to each other and that are found in plant foods. Uh, the richest sources of, uh, of them are whole grains, onions, and garlic. Wow. But they are also found in fruits and vegetables. Onions know. and garlic? I mean, those are, those are potent foods. I yeah. mean, you're going to know if you've eaten onions and garlic. I mean, how many times have we gone to lunch to like... <laughs> ah, you had a salad with onions and garlic. I mean, what what is it about there? What what what's in onions and garlic in particular? Uh, so they have a lot of beneficial um, compounds. Uh, it's about the these oligosaccharides. It's, it's also about amino acids that contain sulfur, sulfuric acid. Uh, so that's why they smell characteristically, right? Ooh, yes, they do. <laughs> uh, however, yes, they do. They are also very rich in antioxidants. Uh, garlic has been shown to lower your blood pressure, for example. So it's not only about uh, the gut bacteria that you will feed. You will also get other health benefits when eating these foods. Fascinating. All right, so you're on the antibiotics. Load up on your onions and garlic and just make sure that you carry a, a toothbrush with you at all times. Yeah, that's uh, correct. That's Okay, good Good to know. Good to know. And, and you said whole grains as well? But if you are in a position where you cannot eat garlic and onions, there are still whole, whole grains, there are still fruits and vegetables, so, you know, no reason to panic. <laughs> just load up on all the beneficial plant foods. That, see, now that is good to know because... Uh, Garlic is okay. Neither my wife nor myself can stand <laughs> onions. We absolutely loathe 
onions. <laughs> just we're just not onion people, so this is good intel. That's fine. Yeah. There, there's a good number of us out there that just don't <laughs> care for the onions. Um, okay. And by the way, yes. uh, if it's only about uh, the taste, you can also get garlic in capsules. Mm. Uh, you know, in a, in a pharmacy store. That's another way of delivery. I've seen that. I've seen that's uh, garlic. I believe is is <laughs> one of the brands. Um, uh, let's uh, let's get nerdy here. You ready to get nerdy? Yeah, absolutely. All right, I love nerding. Anytime. Out. Yeah, man. Let's. <laughs> all right, nerd out. Here we go, kids. Uh, as I understand it, there are when in terms of gut microbiome, there are four main uh, enterotypes. Correct. Right. Let's start with what is an enterotype. Let's define that for the listeners first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's start with uh, the most important aspect of our microbiome, which is the diversity. So how many uh, kinds of bacteria live in your gut? Uh, the more kinds of bacteria live in your gut, the better for your overall uh, bacteria bacterial health mm-hmm. uh, and your gut health. Um, that means if someone uh, has only you know five types of bacteria in the gut and they use an antibiotic, and the the antibiotic you know wipes away three three types of mm, out of five, you know that's a that's a major uh, major shift uh, and uh, potentially uh, threatening for the person compared to another person who would have 120 types of bacteria living in the gut right you you sound a lot like a, a financial planner right now who stresses <laughs> having a diverse portfolio, a portfolio right yeah, right exactly. so you don't just want one or two different kinds of stocks like you want mm-hmm. a diverse portfolio that way right. if one takes a hit you're still in pretty good shape on a bunch of others absolutely that's exactly what we're saying interesting now how can we get this healthy portfolio here we go uh, so the uh, and a fascinating study that has been done uh, compared children living in rural Africa and children living in the United States. Mm-hmm. And they looked at their diversity of their gut microbiome. And uh, children living in rural Africa had a lot more diversity in their gut microbiome compared to children living in the United States. Hmm. Now, what is it about living in Africa? Do we need to move to Africa in order to get, you know, a greater richness, a greater diversity in our gut microbiome? I would assume not because we certainly... basically have every food known to man available here in the U.S. That doesn't mean that we necessarily eat it, though. That's correct. So that's that's I'm going to say, no, we do not need to move to Africa. (laughs) Final answer. Exactly. And we we can learn the lessons from Africa. Right. So what they can what do they consume in Africa? Uh, Fruits, grains, vegetables. Exactly. All kinds of produce stuff. Uh, That's what we can get here, too. Sure. Sure. So uh, this this particular study, it it, uh, did they quantify how much more diversity there was? Was there any way that we can kind of put a number on that? Like in in terms of, you know, there was 50% more diversity or uh, or is it just basically a, a wide a wide margin, and I know you're looking through the through the study now. Like I did not mean to put you on the spot. Uh, you should you should know, you know that if you're listening to this, I, this is a very in depth study that I just quizzed her on. Uh, so this particular study compared children living in Bangladesh com- compared to children living in the United States, uh-huh. um, and that it's a huge difference. Okay, okay. I want to put a pin on that. I want to come back to uh, the enterotypes. 
uh, because uh, and, uh, we, we didn't get a chance to answer that one. Just, just one more thing to mention. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's not only about eating your fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. It's also about how they're being produced and how they're being, being eaten. So, for example, if we overuse sanitizers uh, and if we just clean all the fruits uh, with soap, you know, just to be sure there's no bacteria left, uh, you know, that's, that also creates imbalance compared with when you go to the country to visit your grandma and like pick the apple from the tree. Right, right, right. So it's more beneficial to be like more connected to nature and not be like overzealous when cleaning your vegetables and fruits. Well, we are a bit of a germaphobic society, yeah, by and large. Yeah, that's correct. You know, uh, hand sanitizer is readily available everywhere, and I'm not sure that they even manufacture soap anymore that isn't antibacterial. So, you know, it, it just seems like, by and large, we're, we're afraid of germs. And it, maybe that's even hurting us a little bit. I know that that's not the particular topic that we're touching on, but, but it does kind of make you wonder when you're talking mm-hmm. about overwashing fruits and right. vegetables and washing all of that bacteria away, wouldn't it kind of stand that you become kind of the same principle when it comes to just washing your hands or choosing soap? Um, You know, the more we're connected to nature, the more um, bacteria diversity we're we're consuming, the more bacteria diversity we will get in in our gut. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. And terotypes. Let's go back to that real quick before we move on to these uh, other studies that we have here. Uh, There are four main types of them. Four main which right. means that there are plenty of others. Exactly. Let's let's get the biggies out of the way. What are they? Uh, so number one is Prevotella. Okay. Prevotella uh, is considered to be anti-inflammatory, which means very beneficial, protecting you against inflammation. Uh, so anyone uh, who's struggling with, for example, asthma or rheumatoid arthritis, any autoimmune disease uh, may benefit from this bacteria, but also people struggling with their body weight will benefit from having more prevotella in their gut. All right, so that's a good guy. And uh, this type of bacteria uh, seems to be responding very well to a plant-based diet. So a plant-based diet tends to increase your prevotella in in your gut. Good to know. Okay. So that's number one. Clearly clearly a good guy. Who who else is on the list? And uh, we also need to mention uh, that some of the bacteria are not so clearly a bad or a good guy. Um, It also depends on the proportions. And on, you know, in some context, it may be more beneficial to have, uh, you know, more of this bacteria. But in another context, where you have more um, of other bad guys, it may be beneficial to have less of this bacteria. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're also talking about some ratios and some balance. And that's exactly uh, the case with number two, which is Bacteroidetes. Bacteroidetes um, is a family or a a genus of bacteria that are considered to be pro-inflammatory. That means they promote inflammation. Um, They are able to tolerate bile well. So they are commonly present in the guts of omnivores, of people who consume meat and animal protein and saturated fat. Uh, However, these are not the worst guys. Uh, So 
you know, sometimes even an increase in bacteroidetes may not be as harmful as um, an increase in number three, which is firmicutes. Okay. Uh, and firmicutes tends to be even more pro-inflammatory. Uh, so we're also talking about the ratio be- between bacteroidetes and firmicutes. Uh, but in fact, it's a triangle, you know, between prevotella and bacteroidetes, firmicutes. It's about the balance. And number four is ruminococcus, um, which is another um, another type of bacteria, another family, if you want. Uh, and uh, the the abundance is about the same uh, on animal and plant-based diets. So we're not completely sure about the significance of this particular bacteria. Mm, that's a, so that's a, that's another tweener. That's that's what I call it. When they're not a good guy, they're not a bad guy. They're a tweener. It's an in between, in between. Mm-hmm. Um, coincidentally, all all of these uh, enterotypes they sound like they're ancient philosophers. You know, mm-hmm. bacteroidetes. You know, didn't didn't he write the uh, Iliad and the Odyssey? And uh, to illustrate the importance of the composition of gut bacteria, mm-hmm. um, you know, we can uh, look into one study that compared the gut microbiota composition in children in rural Africa living in a village of Burkina Faso and between European children. Okay. Uh, so there was a marked difference in uh, the gut bacteria composition. So the previous study looked only at the diversity, you know, between children living in Bangladesh and between the children living in the U.S. Right. And the Bangladeshi children had a greater diversity. They had more kinds of bacteria. Right. But what about the composition? And this is uh, exactly this study. Uh, and this study found that uh, the children living in, Bangla- in Burkina Faso uh, in the in one village in Africa, um, they had more prevotella. That's the you know that's the good guy. Yeah. That's number one that we mentioned as a protective guy in in the gut. Uh, like by large, the their content was fifty three percent of prevotella in their gut, compared to only twelve percent in the children living in Europe. Holy cow! Yeah. Holy cow! So that's a huge, huge difference. Big time. And uh, we're also talking about uh, the ratio between um, bacteroidetes and firmicutes, uh, which was greater in uh, the children living in rural Africa. Uh, and now, a fun fact, the ratio be- between bacteroidetes and firmicutes is responsible uh, for about 22% of your cardiorespiratory fitness. So when you go to the gym, you know, your performance is, uh, can, can be explained um, by 22% by your composition in your gut. And that's before you even step on the exactly. treadmill. Exactly, uh, yeah. So like... All, it, 22% is set. It's, it's, you know? Wow. Yeah. Before can, you walk in the gym, 22% is already accounted for. Okay. We can uh, analyze your stool and predict it for you. What what your performance will be looking like, but only twenty two percent. So uh, come on, only twenty two percent. Tell that to 80. a marathon runner, right? You know, tell yeah, that to you yeah. know to somebody who runs track. I That's mean, a good point. Twenty two percent is yes. a huge difference, right? Huge difference, but also not an excuse not to exercise, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I was just watching an interview uh, with a woman who. She's in her mid-30s, and now she's been vegan for a number of years, but she said that 
she ran track in high school and she did okay, but every day for lunch she would mm. go and she would eat Taco Bell and right. then she would get sick after right. she would run. And she's like, man, you know, if I didn't do that, I probably would have run so much better. Right. And now I know <laughs> she would have run 22% better. How yes. about that? How about that? Um, real quick, I want to ask you a little bit more about this this study uh, mm-hmm. between the, the European children mm-hmm. and the rural African children. Let's talk about the difference in their diet. I think that we can kind of guess based off of what the uh, Bangladesh and the U.S. children um, study revealed. But is this kind of a, a same case of a Western diet versus a diet that's lower in animal fat, lower in animal protein, and higher in fruits and vegetables? And also uh, lower in processed foods, right? Ah. Uh, so it's also about how you prepare your grains, Um you don't want to get rid of all the fiber that's in uh, all the plant foods. You want to prepare them as natural as possible. That is a good point. I suppose that the more uh, of a rural environment you live in, the less processed foods you have. Because right. at that point, you're just living off the land, basically, right? right? Uh, so it comes down to the fiber content of the diet. Mm. Uh, so, of course, you know, the more rich in plant foods, the higher uh, in fiber the diet is. And that was also reflected in um, the short chain fatty acid um, Con- content uh, in the stool yeah. of these children. Uh, so short chain fatty acids are fatty acids that are uh, released um, by bacteria that thrive on fiber. Mm-hmm. So these are the bacteria that just derive uh, and uh, compose some fiber and uh, make some short chain fatty acids. Short chain fatty yeah, acids, to say, right? Uh, which are amazing metabolites that not only provide nutrition for uh, the for the cells uh, in the colon for the colonocytes but they also are beneficial for um, metabolic health they activate your brown fat so they enable you to burn more calories so they're very beneficial for weight regulation and weight maintenance that's good because i was just going to ask you about that i mean that's that's the big one. That's the that's the vanity thing that everybody cares about is right. weight loss and looking good in that swimsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's talk about the role of gut bacteria in in weight loss here. Um, you talked a little bit about the the ratio and uh, bacteria. Say it for me, bacteria. Bacteroidetes. There we go. And, and firmicutes. Firmicutes. I got the the, <laughs> the the other one. Not so much. And prevotella. <laughs> um, what can you tell in terms of uh, the makeup between the two in a person who's overweight or obese versus somebody who's a little bit more slim? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that comes down to uh, some specific bacteria in inside these families. Uh, so, for example, uh, Fecalibacterium prausnitzi is one of the bacteria that produces these short-chain fatty acids. Uh, another one would be Bacteroides fragilis. Uh, both of these belong to the Bacteroidetes family, mm-hmm. uh, but the, these are just specific bacteria that have been linked to, uh, you know, better metabolism, better weight regulation. And the good news is that a plant-based diet tends to increase them. Ah, see, there you go. 
There you go. So it's not only about, uh, you know, influencing the whole family of bacteria. Uh, there are, you know, different family members that uh, have a stronger vote. <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, <laughs> right. Right. That's like the general vote versus um, uh, the, the electoral college. Um, so kind of the picture that you're painting, I, I'm finding, is, is a real interesting one. So many times we just associate or equate weight loss with calories and fat, mm -hmm. right? So obviously on a plant-based diet, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, much lower in calories than mm -hmm. processed meat, processed food, all of that, oils, cheese, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you have that right there. But at the same time, not only is it lower in calories, but those same foods that you're eating, those plants – they also will alter your gut bacteria, which mm -hmm. in turn will also help you exactly. lose weight. So it's kind of like a one-two punch that's happening here. Yeah, exactly. And guess what? Uh, some, If you eat a lot of fiber for a long period of time, uh, you will grow these bacteria that can uh, you know, at least get a little bit of energy from the fiber itself. Mm -hmm. So although we are not able to digest fiber uh, by ourselves, these bacteria can do it for for us and we can just provide the food you know we can provide the fiber for them and uh, just to put a capper on this the bacterioid bacterioid DDs there we go uh, <laughs> to formicutes ratio that has a strong negative correlation when we're talking about BMI correct um, you know there are not as many studies on the relationship between weight regulation and the, this particular ratio of these bacteria but uh, some limited evidence shows that yes uh, you know the higher your bacterioidetes to formicutes ratio the better if your weight regulation uh, but also the better for your cardiorespiratory fitness. Interesting, 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 interesting. Um, and in your notes here, you, you also say that uh, obesity, by and large, also has a negative consequence on your, your gut microbiota. Um, I'm assuming that a lot of that has to do with kind of what we've been talking about in, in terms of food choices that we're making, correct? Yes, that's correct. One of the things here that you have on your notes I thought was interesting it mentions a C-reactive protein and because yes. this is a gut bacteria 201 I feel comfortable talking about C-reactive proteins so what is that what role does that play in the bacterioid DTs formicutes all of that stuff how does that tie together I think I said it right yeah, yeah. completely <laughs> so uh, it seems that people who are struggling with their body weight who are overweight or obese have also reduced bacteria to Firmicutes ratio and increased CRP, C-reactive protein, mm -hmm. which is a marker of inflammation, uh, indicating pro-inflammatory effect of obesity related the microbiota. So, you know, a reduced um, bacteroidetes to firmicutes ratio has been associated with obesity, uh, but also with inflammation. Interesting. Okay. And there was a study that looked uh, at that ratio as well. I think that it was looking at uh, adults in both China and in India, correct? That's correct. So this study has been done in adults comparing um, two Asian populations, adults living in India and adults living in China. Uh, so, you know, they live close to each other. However, their dietary habits are very different. Uh, the Indians consume uh, less fat than, than the Chinese. Mm. Uh, 
the Indian food is more plant-based um, compared with the Chinese population uh, who eat, uh, you know, more fat and also more animal protein and saturated fat. I, and, and that's interesting to me because I think that generally speaking, a lot of us who aren't familiar with the Chinese diet would just assume that it's it's healthier than what it actually seems to be, you know? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I saw that fact on the paper here and I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> but then you kind of pointed it out. It's like, yeah, they, there is a lot of meat. There's a lot of animal protein in there. Um, and that's, you know, that's going to have some, some consequences there. That's interesting to me. Um, and this study uh, found a significant difference between the gut microbiota between these populations. So Indian gut bacteria are significantly represented by Bacteroidetes uh-huh. and Prevotella, the, the good guys. Yeah, the good guys. You know, in contrast to Chinese. Um, and um, possibly this difference is due to... Um, whole grain consumption that's significantly higher in the Indian population and generally speaking you know plant foods in general interesting um, I want to ask you I want to pivot and I want to ask you about a specific type of fat and that is saturated fat and yes. how that uh, ties in with uh, the gut microbiota uh, because I know that uh, Sat fat is kind of its own little beast. So, you know, what are we talking about here? Now we're coming to the fun fact. Yeah. You know, most of the listeners will know bifidobacterium, right? That's that's a good bacteria uh, in the fermented foods like plant-based yogurts or sauerkraut or tempeh. Kimchi. Yeah. And guess what? Saturated Hmm. fat reduces this beneficial bacteria. Really? So, you know, it's not only about uh, consuming this beneficial bacteria in your fermented foods. <laughs> if you consume it with, you know, lard or, uh, you know, pork. Right, right. Then you just reduce uh, your bifidobacterium in your gut. It like, it just cancels it out. So yep. say uh, I eat a cup of kimchi, but then I go and I crush a bunch of French fries it's just going to wipe it right. all out, right? Right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. That's interesting stuff. What kind of uh, bacteria there then uh, will affect ca- uh, cardiovascular health or, or is good for cardiovascular protection, making sure that the ticker stays in tick-top tap order? Uh, right. There's, um, uh, there's a compound that's called TMAO. Uh, that's a metabolite of TMA, that's trimethylamine. Um, and this uh, TMA, this trimethylamine, uh, is almost exclusively in the animal foods. So oh. especially the eggs, uh, the meats, and the dairy. Um, and then if you consume a lot of this TMA, it will convert to TMAO, which has been uh, positively correlated with cardiovascular disease. It's a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So is there a way how to reduce your TMAO? I mean, I I just know hosting the show and speaking with (laughs) you and your colleagues that the answer is yes, but I will let you give that answer as you are the authority figure. 
Exactly. The good news, <laughs> you can reduce your TMAO by avoiding animal foods that are rich uh, in TMA, uh, the precursor of TMAO, mm-hmm. uh, but also by protecting, by consuming a lot of protective compounds in your plant foods, such as polyphenols that increase certain types of bacteria, like bifidobacterium mm-hmm. or lactobacillus. That's, that's, that's another one that's, uh, you know, the good guy in your gut. And polyphenols um, provide, um, you know, some, some good food for these types of bacteria. So we're talking about inflammation and disease and, and bad stuff in the gut. Um, in terms of just the imbalanced gut bacteria, it's not just linked to obesity and atherosclerosis and stuff, but it's tied to reflux and IB, right. uh, IBS, IBD, like yep. a whole bunch of stuff. Going back to what we were talking about with the mm-hmm. runner who would go to Taco Bell every right. day and then wonder why her stomach would get sick. Right. Right. So we're thinking like gut bacteria imbalance there. Mm-hmm. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. And we can learn a lesson. So we have mentioned comparative studies so far, you know, looking at populations living here and there. And we're just like hypothesizing, you know, we can learn some lessons from there. Mm-hmm. But let's just mention one study that did this specifically. Yeah. Uh, that um, for four weeks, they gave, they gave the volunteers whole, gra- whole grain barley. Okay. And for another four weeks, they gave them brown rice. And for another four weeks, they gave them both combined. They were looking at their gut microbiota composition. These were 28 healthy volunteers, and it's a U.S.-based study. Okay. So it's relevant to us. And uh, what do you think the findings were? Are we able to uh, influence the gut bacteria composition? I would say so, and I would say that when you combine the rice and the barley together, that's probably when you got the most bang for your buck. Yay, bingo. That's Dr. (laughs) Carol to you, boys and girls. (laughs) (laughs) Brown rice and barley in combination were the best. Uh, But not only did this change their gut bacteria, but it also reduced the markers of inflammation in their blood. Mm-hmm. And also postprandial glucose, so how much your blood sugar rises after a meal, oh. which is a proxy for your risk of getting diabetes in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. So all these metabolic benefits, uh, you know, were pretty quick within four weeks of consuming whole grains. That's that four-week thing that we were talking about as far as yep. how quickly, you, you know, you, you'll see the change there. That's, so that's fascinating. You better go to a grocery store and stock up, you know, on your whole grains. Get the whole grains. You know, don't be afraid of those carbs, daggone it. Carbs get such a bad rap. They mm-hmm. just get such a bad rap. But load up, um, you know, it's and that's so good. Like, they're so <laughs> versatile, too. You can do a whole lot with, with grains and rice and legumes and all sorts of fun little things mm-hmm. like that. And they're cheap. They're yeah. so cheap. People think that eating a plant-based diet is the most expensive thing in the world, and it's really not. Because what are two of the cheapest things that you can possibly buy at the store? Beans and rice. Yeah. You buy them dry, you soak them, you cook them, and you're eating for pennies. Yeah. You know? And look at all the benefits you get. Is there anything else that you think that we should uh, talk about here on 201 before sometime down the road we, we start enrolling people in 
Gut Bacteria 301? <laughs> I'd like to encourage everyone who's listening uh, to stock up on uh, the whole plant foods. Uh, but also, if you have the opportunity to go to a farmer's market where maybe the sanitizing process is not as thorough, you know, to take advantage of uh, the visits in the country when you visit your grandma and grandpa, grandpa you know, just pick the apples from the tree um, and live in more connection to to nature if possible so let's let's recap there because i think that you know that we just gave a lot of information for people to kind of let soak in there so let's let's give the the big tips here so number one get closer to nature uh and if you can't do that the produce that you do get at the store are you saying like don't scrub it till it can't be scrubbed anymore basically right okay uh and the other thing is uh more grains uh that that's a biggie Yes, and more f- more fruits and vegetables. Okay, uh, that will also uh, I- increase your diversity of bacteria, but it will also influence the composition of your bacteria, your prevotella and your bacteriodides to firmicutes ratio. Uh, that can explain twenty two percent of your cardiorespiratory fitness. There it is, twenty two percent. Keep that in mind, athletes. Twenty two percent based right there. On that ratio alone. Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff. I want to send this episode to every track coach in America, uh, or actually any sports coach and any athlete in America, because that is just insane to me, that yeah. stat. Like, that is seriously one of the most fascinating things I have ever heard on this show. Mm-hmm. 22% right there, mm-hmm. right off the bat. Doesn't matter how much you've been running uh, before that, it doesn't matter how in shape you think you are. 22% regardless of all of that based off of that gut bacteria ratio. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> That's why I love having you on the show, Dr. Kaliova. Thanks for having me. The cool thing about gut bacteria is just how much we still have to learn. Our understanding is, yeah, it's expanding at breakneck speed, but we still have many miles to go. Remember, remember, still have a lot to learn when it comes to the 21,000 genes found in the human genome. That's small potatoes compared to the 3.3 million microbial genes in human gut microbiome. That's 157 times larger. 157. Something tells me we're going to be busy for many years to come. But hey, if nerding out about gut bacteria is your idea of a good time, I would like to invite you to join the Physicians Committee for the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, July 26th and 27th at the Grand Hyatt, right here in the heart of Washington, D.C. Now, among the presenters there, you're going to like this, is Dr. Lee Frame. She is a gut microbiome expert who will be exploring where research will be taking us in the future. And a lot of it is tied to advancements in DNA science, which alone by itself right there, that's pretty cool. She was on the show not too long ago talking about the link between gut bacteria and food addiction. She's just a really intelligent person and certainly very passionate about microbiome. So if you want to nerd out with her, this is the place to do it. Head over to pcrm.org slash ICNM to sign up. We hope to see you there. Now then, time for a little inspiration. And for that, we turn to the incredible story of Courtney Flannery. For more than a decade, beginning in her teens, Courtney was in and out of doctor's offices. That's just where she spent the time. 
She was in agonizing pain, and she was diagnosed with nearly a dozen different ailments, but doctors still weren't able to pinpoint what was going on with her. The battle crippled her young body, both mentally and physically, and although she was still in her early 20s, she was relegated to a wheelchair and at best, on her best days, couldn't walk without the help of a cane. Every step was excruciating. And at one point, her own mother thought she was going to die. And one day she nearly did. But then she began to take control of her own health and search for answers. And that quest led her to research on plant-based diets. Even a video from our very own Dr. Neil Barnard. They would be perhaps the most crucial findings on her road to recovery. So after making sweeping changes and implementing what she learned, Courtney is now living a healthful and happy life without the assistance of a cane or a wheelchair. And that is something that she once thought would be impossible. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. And as I say, every time that we have a guest on the show that will make an impact, everybody loves a good story. And this one is certainly one of the best that I have heard in a very long time. This is the true definition. This is the personification of perseverance and inspiration. And so with that, we welcome to the show, Courtney Flannery. Courtney, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, when I received your email and you, you told me about your background, I mean, I, my jaw literally kind of just hit the desk. It was like, wow, poor Courtney has been put through the ringer, but wow, she's also come out the other side. I mean, wow. I, I mean, just before we even get into your story, I, I, just even as recently as, as a couple years ago, I mean, did you ever envision being able to sit here today healthy, happy with this huge smile on your face? Never. No, I, I never thought I would be healthy again. Mm. Absolutely. Well, here you are. I guarantee you look great. You sound great. Uh, you look like you're ready to conquer the world. So uh, <laughs> let's let's start the takeover by telling your story. So um, really, I, I want to start with so many of us. We, we have a, a relationship with food that develops poorly at a very young age. And I understand that that was certainly the case for you. Yeah, definitely the case for me. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up, my family is from the South. We ate you know, what tastes good and what's easy to fix. And with parents working shift work, it was kind of whatever we could have. Um, I became overweight probably around the age of eight, nine. I was pretty young. And as I got older through high school, um, developed pretty severe eating disorder that I carried with me up until, well, I, w I was well out of college. Um, and on top of that, I had problems with some food making me feel kind of sick, um, but we never could pinpoint what it was. So I was dealing with my weight being up and down, feeling sick all the time, and just not really having a whole lot of answers and have a really poor self-image on top of everything else. Now, so this, this started really early for you. Um, I think in your email that you kind of your parents dismissed your personality you just had a nervous personality right yeah they my mom would always say well if you would just calm down maybe your stomach wouldn't hurt and i know she meant the best and and obviously no one wants their kid to be super anxious and 
uh, and I still am. <laughs> That's just who I am. But, uh, you know, calming down was was not going to help me. I was just I have had something very wrong with with my stomach. And and that continued that anxiety, that depression, and that kind of led to maybe some bullying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got bullied all the time. Uh, for one thing or another, I was super short and overweight and I wore glasses and was really into, I, I played sports, but I wasn't very good at them. And so <laughs> I got picked on a lot um, growing up. And that also, you know, that takes a toll on your um, on your anxiety and depression because you just don't want to talk to people. You don't want to be around people. Mm. So in high school, things really kind of took a, a turn for the worse with you. What happened there? Um, you know, growing up in a small town where everybody knows everybody and you're just one of the people that gets ignored and picked on and made fun of. I thought that if I was thin, uh, people would want to spend time with me or that would make me a better person. Um, I, a lot of my friends had graduated. I didn't have a whole lot of people to, to hang out with and to spend time with. And then when I went to college, I went to college four hours away from home and I didn't know anybody. And so I just kind of turned inwardly um, from there. And since I wasn't around family or friends or anything, it just continued to get worse. So uh, I think you, you stated you were battling bulimia, anorexia developed in college like you were talking about. Um, and yeah. then even more digestive issues as time went on. What kind of other issues are we talking about? Yeah, I would get intense stomach pain anytime I ate anything. And this was going on throughout battling the eating disorders, but also after that. Um, and it just continued to get worse. It would got to the point where I could eat like bland meat and bread with no gluten in it. I couldn't eat fruit. I couldn't eat vegetables. Mm. I was just eating whatever I could for as much as, as, and as much as I could. And unfortunately, a lot of that stuff was processed food because that stuff has so much oil and stuff in it. You just, it moves through your body. You don't even, your body doesn't do anything with it. Right, right. Um, so that just continued to build and build and build. And before I knew it, I was almost 250 pounds, um, super sick all the time still. And, um, just, not doing well, not doing mm. well at all. Um, so can, can you give us a, a more specific idea of, of what uh, those processed foods were? I mean, you say meat, no no gluten in your bread. I mean, literally, were you just like picking up lunch meat, rolling it up and, and eating it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was that was that. I would take cheese and lunch meat and roll it up. I would make hot dogs with no bun, just like a plain hot dog with ketchup on it. Um like a hamburger, cheeseburgers, um, cheese pizza rolls, bagel bites, you know, all mm -hmm. like just junky stuff. Um, and then when I had to cut the gluten out, I had to stop eating some of that. And I would, but I would just turn to buying the gluten free versions of that stuff, which are still not good for you. Right. Um, but, and it was a lot of fast food. I'd go to like McDonald's and get French fries or Taco Bell and get nachos or whatever, whatever I could get my hands on that I could eat. That's what I was eating. God knows I know about the Taco Bell, man. <laughs> that Taco Bell is no joke. And it's funny yeah. how, you know, whether it's emotionally or physically, we think that those foods are going to make us feel better, right? And right. Isn't, it, isn't it funny how kind of maybe you reach this, the point in life where you are now and you look back, you're like, man, that really didn't do much for me at the time. No, I can't imagine going back to eating like that because it's just like, oh, it made me just feel, not only physically feel bad, but just like 
sad after I'd eat it. I, it didn't help. It just made me feel worse. Were you researching foods that y- you should avoid because of your uh, your conditions? Like, were you consulting Dr. Google, you know, and, and seeing, you know, what, what should and shouldn't eat? Or were you just really just kind of throwing everything against the wall and see what would stick? I mean, a lot of it was throwing things against the wall, seeing what would stick. Um, I mean, this was in the early to mid-2000s, so there just wasn't a lot of good research on the Internet yet on nutrition science or what you should be eating, and my doctors were not helpful. Um, I, a lot of the times they would kind of just throw their hands up and say, well, we're not sure, and just do whatever you can. I heard that so many times. Um, so I felt kind of like a lost case. So I would just say, you know what, I'm going to do this myself, figure out what I can do um, just to try to 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 stay alive and to graduate college and and go from, you know, get a job and everything after that. Talk to me about the level of frustration. I would imagine being in your position, like you probably just wanted to pull your hair out when you go to the doctor and they can't even really help you. They don't know what to do. Yeah, that was the worst. Um, And it got progressively worse the sicker I got because you would go in and say, okay, I'm having all of these symptoms. Like I've can't eat anything. I'm, I'm feel terrible. Um, and they would look at me and see that I was overweight at the time and say, you're, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You can eat You're mm. yeah, there's nothing wrong. Um, and then as I got sicker and lost weight, they were, they could see that I was very sick, but they still didn't know what to do. So they would pass me off to a different doctor or just say, well, take more of the medication we gave you and see if that works. So it was very frustrating. So when you say that you lost weight, how much weight are we talking? Yeah, so I, when I really got sick, um, and this was well after college, this was about three or four years ago, I got incredibly sick um, after a medical procedure from one of my doctors, um, and I dropped about 90 pounds in less than six months, which was really challenging because I looked at myself and was like, oh, I've lost a lot of weight, but at the same time, I was incredibly sick. No one should lose that much weight that quickly for without trying and without intervention of something like a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go from extremely overweight to underweight in that short amount of time, um, it was really bad. And then I, my GI symptoms got worse, um, because of that weight loss. Um, and it was, I was to the point where all I could have was like a milkshakes and nutritional drinks. That was all I could have. I couldn't eat anything. Wow. Milkshakes at that point. Yeah, it was just, it was liquid. Um, every once in a while, I could do like meat and cheese again, but I was very sick and couldn't eat. And I was I had, was at the point where um, I went to my doctor, uh, my GP, who's amazing. She's super sweet, but does not know a whole lot about nutrition. But I sat in her office and cried and said, I don't know what to do. I can't eat. <laughs> and I, I have a job and I just got married and I, I'm stuck at home because I don't have the energy to do anything. Yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you about that because I know that all the while, while this is going on and your health is kind of bottoming out and you're searching for answers, as poorly as that's going, the other aspect of your life and your personal life, you had a fiance, then you get married. I mean, things were really going well in that area. Yeah, and that was made it hard, you know, being a newlywed and saying, hey, I, I can't get out of the car. I have a cane. I can actually see it. It's it's in this room right now. I, have a, I had a cane that I had to use to get around out of the car. Um, I had to be carried some places sometimes. I had a wheelchair. 
Um, I couldn't get up to make food. I couldn't cook for us. Um, we missed out on a lot of things because I was just too tired to go places. Um, fortunately, I, I had just gotten a really great job with a really understanding company, so I was still able to work. But had I not, I don't even think I would have been able to work. Now, how old? <laughs> let me ask the, uh, the the question here that no man should ask a woman. Uh, <laughs> how old were you at this point? So that was about four or five, four years ago. So I was 26 at the time. Wow. Um, so, and I had, you know, met my, met my wife when I was 24. So I was pretty young, you know, mm -hmm. when I'm sure people listening, if you're 26, you're like, I don't feel that young. You're young. <laughs> you're, yeah, oh, yeah. you're, you know, and, um, in that time, um, I just, you know, all the big life transitions are happening and it's a lot to handle for, a younger person for sure yeah, or for anyone your mid-20s like that's supposed to be the prime of your life and then here you are you're using a cane you're wheelchair bound you have zero energy that's that's so tough i want to go back to your your gi doctor though um one of the things that you said in your email again was that really st stood out to me was just how inconclusive even the gi doctor's diagnosis was Th didn't she say she was pretty sure that you had uh, irritable bowel disease and yeah. that was kind of what was the the precipice for everything here yeah and that's exactly what happened so she ran some tests um one of which triggered the weight loss and me getting very sick which is unfortunate but um after the testing she was like well we think you have ibd we don't know for sure a lot of my blood work came back inconclusive like exactly the tests were not showing anything and in, because of that her recommendations were, well, take double dose of Miralax every day, um, you know, eat what you can, and then come back and see me in six months. Oh, and by the way, here's a $300 a month prescription um, that almost landed me in the hospital because I had a reaction to it. Um, so she was very not helpful, and I went to actually tried to go back to make an appointment with her a few months later, and she was gone. Oh, so really? she had left the practice or something. Um, and then I went to another GI doctor, and unfortunately, it was pretty much the same experience with him as well. That's that's so frustrating. Um, but I, I don't necessarily hold the doctors oh, responsible. Yeah, no. um, yeah, totally not their fault. That's no. just what they're that's they're not taught. They don't know. Right. I just had this long conversation. As a matter of fact, on the show, we did a Facebook Live, Dr. Neil Barnard and I did, where we were talking about the lack of nutrition education in medical school curriculums. And it, it literally is little to no with the, you know, leaning toward no nutrition education so how then are they supposed to pass that on to you you know it's, right it's it's a tough one so uh let's flash forward to 2016 and um uh you you put the word keto keto diet in that email as well so you stumble across keto what happens yeah so i stumbled upon that um it was kind of when the craze was just starting to catch fire so it was you know people were saying oh i feel great um, and I was simply doing it. I know people do it for weight loss. Obviously, I was not in any position to need to do that. But um, I just was like, maybe this is something I can eat. Maybe my body will be able to handle it. So I jumped in, started doing the keto diet. Um, and of course, my body was not happy with that. And I continued to lose weight. I bottomed out around 108 pounds, which on my frame is very tiny. Um, I was worse. I got way sicker. Um, my GI problems got worse. So it was it was a mess. It was really at that point, like, whatever's going to work, I'm going to try it. And mm -hmm. it didn't. <laughs> so what type of things were you eating? 
um, I was eating stuff that I would never touch in a million years now. I was eating pork rinds dipped in mayonnaise. I was eating yeah. steak, hamburgers, chicken, as much cheese as I could handle eating. Yeah, it's just like gross, like <laughs> stuff that I would never touch now. Um, and, and I would be so afraid of eating like a cracker or something because you get in a mindset and, and that's why some of these crash diets are really bad for people that have a past with an eating disorder because it becomes so limiting that you kind of fall into that trap too. So I was eating like junk and eating through bags and bags and bags of pork rinds and feeling terrible. It was, it was not good. Right. So medically then what else was, was going for you? I would imagine if you're eating these kinds of foods, things as you said, continue to kind of, uh, get worse. Yeah. Um, I, so I, with my IBD, I had suffered from extremely bad constipation. I would, I would have a bowel movement like once every two weeks. So with that, um, things can get impacted and that's very dangerous if that happens. So that was the biggest issue I had. Um, other issues, uh, I developed really bad joint pain, um, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia during that time. Um, I was continuing to have issues with getting around. Like my mobility was still really bad. But the the fact that my intestines were not functioning at all was really scary. And I and I, it's just you know there's no fiber in animal products, so why mm-hmm. you know I'm not surprised. But it was really really bad. How was it for your your new wife at that point? I mean, this this must have been horrifying because if you feel this bad on the inside, I would imagine that you were, you know, actually physically looking very ill outside as well. All of this must have been super concerning. Yeah, it was really tough for her, especially because we both just felt completely out of control of what was happening around us. And I know she was constantly worried about me, just like my family was um, incredibly supportive never, you know, hesitated that needed anything always there for me. Um, but I feel like it was a lot. It was a lot to ask and just being married for like a year and a half at that point to have gotten so sick. Well, you seem so, you know, pleasant and upbeat now. I mean, obviously you're a lot healthier. Were personality wise, were you different during this point as well? Absolutely. I was depressed. I was lethargic all the time. I was upset all the time. Um, I had really bad brain fog pretty much 24 hours a day and I just could not think or focus. So of course that made me grouchy and just felt really bad, felt guilty for being sick. Um, I didn't have a good outlook. I didn't feel like I would ever, ever be healthy again. I, I was looking at a future where I felt like I would be homebound and stuck in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. All of this is going on, and I want to bring us to the fateful day where you go to a tattoo convention, and Mm -hmm. what happened? Walk us through that day. Yeah, I had, uh, so my wife and I have lots of tattoos. That's kind of our thing, and we'd gone to a tattoo convention. They have them uh, all over the country. And I'd gotten a tattoo done earlier in the day, um, felt fine, and was just waiting on my wife to get hers finished up. Um, and I was walking around and I started to feel really, really sick. And I, this happened all the time where I'd feel really weak and I would need to sit down and drink some water. I carried around glucose tablets with me because my blood sugar was starting to get really inconsistent. Um, but I was walking and started to not feel great. And so I made my way back as quickly as I could to the booth where my wife was with a couple of our friends and I passed out. Oh, wow. Um, just clean, passed out, um, they got some sugar for me and that helped me kind of, you know, come back around. But, um, that was probably one of the scariest things that's ever happened. I was, and if I hadn't been over there, I don't know what would have happened. I would have fallen on the, there was concrete floor. 
Uh, there was hundreds of people there, but I don't know that they would have been able to find her, uh, find my wife. So it was really scary. So this was kind of bottoming out for you. I mean, this was the worst of the worst. This was this was it. Absolutely. That was probably one of the worst experiences ever and probably the moment in the health it, with my health where I went, what I'm doing isn't working. I have to do something because I can't keep living this way. Did the thought ever cross your mind that you were going to die? Yes, all, all the time. Um, I was in and out of my doctor's office with weird symptoms, and I could I felt like my body was trying to shut down all the time. And that was really scary, and you just never knew. Um, and I, my mom recently said the same thing to me. She goes, there are times when I didn't think you were going to make it. And that's really powerful. That And my mom would never have said that to me when I was sick, but to know that she was worried about me like that was really scary. So this was what, 2016 at that point? It would have like the beginning of 2017 at the, uh, around this time. What happens next? So what happened after that, um, I started doing research. Um, I got back on the internet, I checked out books, and I said, all right, I've tried gluten-free, I've tried the keto diet, I've tried all of this stuff and nothing is working. And I started looking into resources like the Physicians Committee website, um, definitely one of the first things that I saw. Also, just looking at um, different people on YouTube that were making recipes, and it seemed like a vegan, plant-based, whole food diet was what was going to work. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just try it. Um, I had an attitude like that where I can drop overnight. I didn't. I don't miss cheese. I don't miss eggs. I've never, never been that kind of person. Um, so I started doing that research and um, started really slowly with doing things like smoothies um, that were easy to eat and just kind of built on it from there. So, I mean, that, that, that takes a lot of bravery. You make this transition. I, I just kind of, did you consult your doctor or did you just kind of go for it? I had talked with my doctor, my primary care doctor, um, and she's always super supportive. She's like, whatever's going to work. And at that point, I didn't think she wanted me coming in her office crying anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's like, if this will help you, go for it. Um, I had, had seen a nutritionist um, previously uh, about a year and a half before, and this was before I even started doing anything with the low-carb nonsense. Um and she was kind of like not helpful <laughs> because they don't get plant-based nutrition guidance in school either. Um, so I, I did a lot of the research on my own. I said, okay, I know I can have strawberries. I know I can have, um, you know, coconut yogurt and I know I can have protein powder. And so I started there and very slowly, a lot of the foods that used to make me sick or that I would have allergic reactions to didn't bother me anymore. Hmm. Um, so that was really exciting. Food became fun again. So you used to have allergic reactions, and I think you said that you had an EpiPen at that point? Yeah, I had an EpiPen with me and everywhere I went. Um, if I came in contact with wheat, um, certain fruit, um, soy products, at that point I would have to use my EpiPen. Um, so I was at work. I would just avoid doing work lunches or being around people when they were eating. Um, and me going out to eat really difficult. We didn't do a whole lot of that back mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. um, and I would I would have really terrible reactions. But you start trying all of these foods then that used to make you sick, but you had your EpiPen like kind of right there at the ready. I mean, you're a brave soul for doing that. What was that whole experience like? It was scary. I mean, I would try a new food and I would just stand there and look at my wife and I'm like, okay, if I need the EpiPen, 
get me in the leg with it. Um, but I decided I was tired of being afraid of eating. And if I didn't try something, we would never know. Mm -hmm. And so I, we went to the grocery store and this moment I'll, I'll never forget it. We were over by the salad bar and I got one of the salad bar containers and I picked up a piece of tofu out of the salad bar. I said, I'm going to eat it. (laughs) We're five minutes from home. If I have a reaction, we can get home. And I ate it and I didn't have a reaction. And slowly, but surely I started being able to eat. I mean, I can have a big plate with tofu and all kinds of raw vegetables and and almond butter, which used to make me super sick. All of this stuff that I could never have touched before just because I was like, let's do it. Let's try it. And, you know, the worst thing that would happen is I'd have a reaction and we'd just have to start over. But that was for me, it was worth giving it a shot. <laughs> so so it starts with the tofu with the salad bar. Like how how rapidly after that then did you start really getting brave and incorporating even more things into the diet? So I did a new food a week basically. I wanted to make sure give myself a few days to make sure I'm not going to have some GI symptoms, but it was quick. Um I added bread, wheat bread in for the first time. We got this really yummy wheat bread and I took a bite of it and I didn't react at all. And I used to if I touched bread would break out in hives. Um so I was eating I had that, um a bunch of fruit. I missed fruit and I missed salads. That was salads was like the most recent readdition into my diet. Mm-hmm. Now I get just like giant bowls of salad. Um so for me I, my wife definitely had to slow me down a little bit because I was just like, I want to eat everything. And she's like, let's take it slow and try one thing at a time. Baby steps. Baby yep. steps. Um, so how quickly did the, did the weight start to come back on and you start to get a little more color in your face and basically come back to life? Yeah, that's exactly. Um, so about six months. So, um, as you know, on a whole food plant-based diet, um, every, there's not a whole lot of calorie-dense stuff. There are things you can eat that are calorie-dense, but um, I started really slowly. So, in about six months, I went from that 108 back to a, a healthy weight for my height. Um, I've been able to maintain that. Um, since then, um, you know, now I have vegan junk food every once in a while. No, you're not supposed to do that, and I do the best that I can not do. But um, I, I really, uh, you know, I started adding more tofu in, um, more um, avocados, um, healthy fat that really helped me gain some weight back on and then obviously being able to eat, you know, bread and, and some other vegetables, starchy vegetables. Um, and within, but within like a week of eating whole food plant-based, I felt like a new person. Wow. So the weight hadn't come back on yet, but I had energy. I could get up. I could go out and do things. Um, I really love hiking and walking and just being in nature. And I was finally able to kind of start doing that again. So it was a really quick physical improvement but i'd say within six months i was back to where i felt my best wow and so your mom who once thought that you were gonna die talk to me about the conversations you and she were having then she must feel like a million bucks almost as good as you did yeah as she was thrilled and in those conversations she's changed her diet up too so now she is, she's still getting there, but she doesn't eat red meat anymore. She doesn't eat um, pork anymore. She doesn't eat dairy anymore. Um, but seeing me bounce back, um, I know, I mean, I'm a pet parent. I don't have human children, but I know how excited I am when they're doing well. So I, she just was so much happier. And every time we would come home, we'd just be like, oh, you look great. You, you look so happy. Um, and so making my mom proud of me all over again for something different was it's really fulfilling for me too on an emotional level. Yeah, I would imagine your wife was having much the same reaction. 
Absolutely. And my wife is also vegan now, too. So, um, yeah, in the transition, she was like, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever give up cheese. Uh, I don't know if I could ever give up, you know, chicken. And now she's making make like vegan chicken out of tofu. And we're doing vegan pad thai and eating all this really cool, fun food that we didn't eat before because I couldn't handle eating, you know, spicy food and things from you know other other cultures um so her going vegan is really great because it's just one grocery list we share everything um and she's gotten a lot healthier too her cholesterol has gotten better she's lost weight so um we're both doing i i think the best that we've ever we've ever felt very cool and what about the conversations that you had with your doctor you know your your gp who said go plant-based whatever's going to make you feel better i mean I would imagine something like this must have opened her eyes a little bit as well. Absolutely. And she's one of the most open doctors I've ever worked with. She loves to learn and to take feedback. Um, so when I came into her office and I didn't have my cane and I didn't look like I was going to fall over, she was like, oh, well, you know, what are you doing? And I said, well, I did that plant-based thing that we talked about. And she's like, that's fantastic. My blood work looks really great. Um, and she's like, you know, I don't need to see you every two months now because your blood sugar's under control. It's not bottoming out. Um, your weight's stable. Um, and she is has gotten some books and things and she's like, I'm going to start talking about this with other patients of mine because when you see something that works, I think it really changes your perspective on, on, you know, what's possible. This is such a a remarkable turnaround. How differently do you view life now? How has your outlook changed? How do you view differently now the future? It's got to be completely different. Absolutely. I didn't think I had a future. I thought I was done. I didn't think I would do anything but sit at home and read books and watch TV. Um, I now have aspirations. I have things that I want to do and goals that I want to achieve. I've done better at my job than I've ever done. My numbers are amazing at work. Um, I am planning vacations. We're going to go to Europe next year. Um, I just feel like I have a new lease on life. And yeah, I may have had, you know, my early 20s, mid 20s may have been rough, but I mean, I'm still pretty young. I've got a lot of time left. And now I feel like I can enjoy it and go out there and and really see the world. It's been almost 10 years now since uh, I've lost the weight and I still open my eyes every morning and I feel like the day is fresh and I still feel like everything is brand new. That feeling has never gone away. And I know that our stories are very much different, but I would imagine that there's there's some similarities there. Do you, do you still feel like, man, I'm, I'm Courtney version 2.0. This is great. Yeah, every day, every day. And I am used to never be like that constantly optimistic person. And, you know, that that's what people see me that knew me from a long time ago. They're just like, wow, you're so different. You're so positive now. Um, because I wake up every day and it's another chance to like, to do something that I couldn't do before to make a connection I didn't have before, or even just, you know, enjoy a warm day or the snow if it's snowing. Um, every day is a gift and it really feels that way. And I, I got to tell you, I think that your story is going to be a gift to a lot of listeners as well. So many people struggle with so many things, and your your issues were a mystery for such a long time, and that's such a hopeless feeling, and that's a feeling that so many people share. I'm sure it has to be gratifying knowing now that you can kind of pay forward what you learned. Absolutely. All I've ever wanted to do is share my story with, with people, whether that was 
when I was super sick and just sharing that, you know, you can be optimistic and, and keep going even if you can just do just one thing a day. Now that I have a story where I can say, hey, I've gotten better, all I've wanted to do is tell people about it. So I'm very excited that I'm able to do that. Awesome. Awesome. Did you get a tattoo to kind of commemorate the uh, the resurgence of Courtney Flannery? Uh, you know, okay, so I haven't got one specifically for that, um, but I am planning on getting um, a pig uh, with like a, a, like a cartoonish kind of pig um, that says friend, not food on it. I really like want to have one, uh, you know, something to commemorate that. But I have tattoos. I have a lot of animal tattoos. Um, they're very bright and colorful. None of my tattoos have black ink in them. They're all brightly colored. And I feel like that's really where my life is now is that I'm, you know, everything's in color now. So that's why I get my tattoos in color. I was about to say that matches your personality perfectly. <laughs> that's cool. What, what's it going to take to get you to get an exam room tattoo, right? If I, if I pay for that personally, can you make that happen? You know what? Absolutely, Chuck. For you, anything. <laughs> Uh, you're you're the best. Um, thank you so much, Courtney, for for taking the time. And I'm just I'm so proud of you for pushing through and not giving up and keep on digging for that answer and coming out the other side. Not everybody makes it, and you did. And now you want to share what it is that you've learned. You want to share your own story and, and inspire people, and that's so 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 important. So. Thank you so very much for taking this time. This has really been an honor to speak with you. Well, thank you so much for letting me come on the show and chat with everyone. And hopefully someone out there hears that and uh, it helps them on the right path. What an incredible story. You know, Courtney really just wants to share it in hopes of inspiring others who feel defeated and like they are at the end of their rope. But the message here is to never give up. You have to keep pushing. You have to keep learning. And you have to make changes that can finally turn everything around for you just as she was able to. I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to hear a lot more from Courtney in the future as she continues to share her story, because there are countless others out there still struggling, and she now has the opportunity to be their inspiration. Just like Courtney took charge of her own health by starting to do her own research, I encourage you to do the same. That's why we've posted a link to all of the studies that Dr. Kaliova and I discussed on the show today. You can find them over on pcrm.org slash podcast. I think you're going to get a particularly big kick out of a recent study she conducted uh, that examined the effects of a vegetarian and vegan diet on gut microbiota, specific to vegetarians and vegans. The study was crazy in depth, and I think we're probably going to wind up doing a whole show just on that because there is a ton to get into from that study. So before I go, a couple of more favors. One, if you have not already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to the exam room by the Physicians Committee. Go ahead and do that. We are available wherever podcasts are served up. And then look for new episodes every Wednesday filled with more knowledge and more inspiration. Bonus points if you leave a five-star rating for the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher. And then double bonus points if you share it with a friend or a family member. And the second favor, if you ever have any questions about anything we talk about on the show, I would encourage you now to pull out your phone and give a couple of follows on social media. On Twitter, you can find me 
at Chuck Carroll, WLC. Carroll with two R's, two L's, WLC standing as always for weight loss champion. And the Physicians Committee is at PCRM. Over on Instagram, it's at Chuck Carroll, WLC again, but a little bit different now for the show. Follow at Physicians Committee on IG there. It is spelled out, but same inspiration, same knowledge, same motivation. Overall, just a great, great follow. It's also a great place to share your idea for future shows, you know, because we read each and every message that you guys send to us. And I love chatting with you, too. Some of the stories that you guys have shared with me have just really touched me right. I mean, just touched me right in the heart. And hopefully we can share some more on the show sometime soon. But in the meantime, that is going to do it for us today. So for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, keep it plant-based. <laughs>